0: Well, we are into our seventh week of the book of Exodus. We're almost at the end. And a few weeks ago, 24 people gathered together to read through the book of Exodus from start to finish. Now, this was an amazing task because it took 200 minutes. 200 minutes. How many hours is that? Three hours and 20 minutes. And we made it. We did it together and nobody jumped off. We all did it together. And perhaps you may be falling behind a, uh, in your Bible engagement today and you find yourself behind in the, in the book or the prayer book or the draw book. But let me encourage you to keep on reading. Would you set an hour of your day even today on Sunday to catch up? And last week, Pastor Andrew, he really did a great job of sharing from God's Word about the covenant between God and His people. This morning, I want to speak to you about the episode that we call The Golden Calf. Our scripture this morning comes from Exodus 32, verses 1 to 20. I'm going to invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. And we have a tradition here at WPA to read scripture together if you're new with us. So with your mask on, I invite you to join with me. And we're going to read these 20 verses together. Exodus 32, verses 1 to 20. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf. "'Fashioning it with a tool. "'Then they said, "'These are your gods, Israel, "'who brought you up out of Egypt. "'And when Aaron saw this, "'he built an altar in front of the calf "'and announced, "'Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. "'So the next day the people rose early "'and sacrificed burnt offerings "'and presented fellowship offerings.' Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it, And have said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, Why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people." Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, back and front. And the tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, There is the sound of war in the camp. And Moses replied, "'It is not the sound of victory, it is not the sound of defeat, it is the sound of singing that I hear.' And when Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf the people had made and burned it in the fire.' Then he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. You're continuing to speak to us and teaching us lessons from the life of the Israelites, God. And I pray that we would not repeat the same mistakes, that we would have no idols before us today. God, that we would be sold out to you alone. Father, I pray that today some of us would need to make a decision and that we would be motivated inspired by the scriptures to worship you alone, that there would be no other gods beside you. Jesus, we put our faith and trust in you. You are the God that has saved us. You are the God that has delivered us, and we are here today as a product of your grace. And so, Father, would you speak to our hearts? Would you bring life change and transformation in us, renewing our mind, renewing our heart today? And may we never be the same again. We thank you for your presence. Would you add your blessing to your word? Empower me to preach it with boldness and with clarity. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen. You may be seated. I want to preface my message this morning with something that the apostle Paul had said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 1 to 7 and 11 to 13. It's a very clear example of how scripture interprets scripture over time. And he referenced Exodus 32 verse 7 when giving warnings to the church in Corinth. And if you've read the books 1 and 2 Corinthians, you will remember that this church was truly a spiritually gifted church. They had all these spiritual gifts distributed among them, but they struggled with the gray areas of life. The main idea of this portion of scripture is do not do what the Israelites did. Do not do what the Israelites did. That's a message for us today. Don't do what the Israelites did. See, their journey, their challenges, their mistakes are meant to serve as a warning to us. The scripture says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied, accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. But nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. In other words, God loved them. God had a purpose and a plan for them, but they displeased God, and their whole generation in Egypt passed away in the wilderness. They saw the manifestations, they saw the miracles of God firsthand, but they were still not fully convinced that God is God alone. Moving down to verse 6 and 7 of that same chapter. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Moving down to verse 11, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humankind or mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So the Apostle Paul is reminding the church in Corinth, and the Holy Spirit is reminding the church at WPA today, that we are no different than the Israelites if we do not learn from their mistakes. Don't think too highly of yourself. Lest you fall. You are not exempt from temptation. None of us are. But you do not have to give into temptation because it's a choice. And you do not escape from temptation. You see, it is God who gives us the way of escape. It is God who gives us the rescue rope to pull us out of the temptation. But ultimately, friends, the choice is yours today. This morning, I want to share three actions in this story in Exodus 32, 1 to 20, to reflect on. Uh, we want to reflect on this in order to help us avoid repeating the same mistakes of Israel. The first point this morning I want to share with you is peer pressuring. Peer pressuring. We see this in the text, verses 1 to 6. Let me read the scripture to, to you again. When the people saw that Moses was so long and coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. And Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives and your sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron, and he took what they had handed him, and he made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. And then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. And afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Throughout their entire wilderness experience to date, the Israelites had a pattern of constantly doubting Moses' leadership and ultimately that was a sign that they were doubting God's leadership in their lives. And part of it was out of curiosity behind that mystery of God that he cannot be fully known. They only get a piece of him. Part of it was out of their jealousy for the man Moses, who was this intermediary between God and his people. Part of it was due to being people who were simply stiff-necked and prone to evil. In Exodus 24, 18, we read, Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up, uh, on up the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. That's a long time. 40 days, 40 nights, that's a long time. And it's five weeks and five days. It's 960 hours of life. And this number has biblical significance because it represented a time of testing where God deals with evil. Noah was in the ark. While the rain poured down for 40 days and 40 nights, and the earth was cleansed of its wickedness. Elijah traveled 40 days and 40 nights all the way to the same mountain of God where the Israelites were after running away from Jezebel. Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights in the Judean desert, and he overcame the temptations of Satan in that place. The Israelites knew where Moses was going, but they didn't know what Moses was doing. And in Exodus 24, verse 4, we learn that Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. Moses was going up the mountain to write down everything that the Lord would say. He would transcribe it by hand, whatever the Lord commanded him for the people. And this is what is referred to as the book of the covenant. Then in Exodus 24, verse 12, we read, the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandments I have written for their instruction. See, he was to come up and these stone tablets were inscribed with the words of God by the very finger of God. One of the challenges I faced as I studied this text and tried to interpret the scripture this week was the clarity that is offered to us in Exodus 24, verse 9 to 11, versus the doubt created in Exodus 32, verse 1. You see, in Exodus 24, 9, 11, 74 people of Israel were permitted access to ascend the mountain. Not all the way up, but they were allowed to go up to some level. The scripture says, Moses and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. And under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, as bright blue as the sky. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God. They ate and drank. Isn't that Unreal. Just imagine if you and I could be a part of that moment. We could climb up the mountain and we can dine with God. We can see some amazing things that have never been seen before. See, these leaders saw God and they lived. They dined in the very presence of Almighty God. Therefore, Aaron, he had an idea of where Moses was when he was in the presence of God on top of the mountain. He knew. But he didn't fully believe. Aaron had seen these things firsthand. He had seen what only a few people had seen. In fact, Exodus 24, verses 13 to 14, revealed that Moses had put his full confidence in Aaron and in her as interim leaders while he was on the mountain. Then Moses, the scripture says, set out with Joshua, his aid, And Moses went up the mountain of God and he said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and her are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. See, in their impatience for Moses, it became clear that the Israelites were no longer satisfied with an invisible God, they wanted a visible God. And Aaron. Asked the people then to contribute their gold earrings. And looking back in scripture, we see how they received all of this gold. Looking back to Exodus 12, 35 to 36, we remember that the Israelites did as Moses instructed, and they had asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. And the Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people, and they gave them what they asked for, so they plundered. The Egyptians, you see, they didn't leave Egypt empty-handed. They left Egypt with gold and silver and new clothes. And this was the plunder of Egypt that God instructed them to collect for a purpose that was not yet disclosed. This gold was melted. It was cast into the shape of a calf. Its fine features were chiseled out with a tool. But what kind of comparison is a calf to the Lord God Almighty? No comparison at all. First, you see, the creation of the golden calf was a violation of the preface of the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. It was a violation of the First and the Second Commandments. It discredited God of having delivered the Israelites out out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Notice that the people said, these are the gods who brought them out of Egypt. The sin of idolatry was replicated later by King Jeroboam. He wasn't a good king with his two calves. He he created these two calves, and one he placed in Bethel, and the other one he placed in Dan. And Jeroboam instructed in 1 Kings 12, 28 to 29, he said, Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Very same words. Both Aaron and Jeroboam They showed blatant disrespect for God's oneness and his uniqueness. Secondly, we see that the creation of the golden calf was some level of syncretism, an amalgamation of the deities and the practices from other neighboring nations. The idol could be a representative of their past. It could be inspired by the Egyptian deity named Apis, who was a cow, a calf. This could also be the representative of their future idol, inspired by the Canaanite deities of Baal. Some people say Baal or Baal, but it's Baal. Psalm 106 verse 20 concluded that they exchanged their glorious God for an image of a bull which eats grass. Does our God eat grass? Have we belittled him to that level where he eats grass? Come on, he made grass. He made all these things. See, Christianity is not a mix-and-match kind of faith. I'll take a little bit of this. I'll take a little bit of that. I'll reject a little bit of this. I'll reject a bit of that. See, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, prohibited such actions. And though they verbally agreed to obeying the law of the Lord in Exodus 24 verse 3 by saying everything the Lord said we will do, They practically disobeyed it when it came to chapter 32. See, we are all guilty of saying one thing and doing another thing. Aaron's idolatry led to Aaron's lying. Friends, that is because sin begets more sin. Once you start sinning, it's very difficult to stop sinning. So they sat there. They ate and they drank and they indulged in revelry. And while commentators debate what this revelry or this play means in the text, the sinfulness of the moment suggests that it was anything but holy. It resulted in drunkenness. It resulted in sexual immorality, characteristic of the idolatry of all their neighboring nations. And we later see and we hear the ludicrous reply that Aaron gave Moses when he was held accountable for everything that took place. In Exodus 32, verse 24, listen to what he said. I threw the gold jewelry into the fire, and out came this calf. Like, you can imagine Moses saying in his mind, are you serious, bro? Like, are you for real? You have to be kidding me. And to me, this sounds like the answer of a drunk man. It just sounds so silly. But see, Aaron fell under the weight of peer pressure. My question is, will you do the same? When people are telling you to do certain things in your life, will you fall under their influence instead of being an influence in their life? We've been talking about my influence for the past few months. Will you use your influence and exercise it among the people around you, or will you allow yourself to be influenced by other people? Whose voice will you listen to? Second point this morning is God relenting. God relenting. We find this in verse 9 to 14. The scripture says, I have seen these people. The Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. And then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, as in Jacob." To whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And I will give your descendants all this land I promised them. And it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster that he had threatened. See, the Lord's anger was incensed against the Israelites to the point of wanting to destroy them once and for all. He was willing to start all over again with just Moses and a faithful few. Yet in all of this, God was moved by Moses' plea to relent. Because God is not a heartless God. In fact, God has a massive, big heart. And though he was justified to judge his people, the weight of his love always outweighs the weight of his wrath. This is an act of divine mercy for the Israelites. And there are two things that Moses specifically reminded God about in asking him to relent. And the first is this, Lord, remember your power. Lord, remember your power. See, Moses began by reminding God of the futility in destroying the very people whom he had delivered. What's the point of destroying them now? In hindsight, the ten plagues and the crossing of the Red Sea would be rendered purposeless works of God if God would destroy His people here in this moment. And if He is the all-knowing God, certainly He knew that the people would rebel at some point in their history. So why would He have saved those He knew would not appreciate their salvation? Moses continued by reminding God of his reputation among the nations. What will other people say about our God and based on his actions and his his relationship with them? And to some extent, God does care about what people think about him. And to some extent, God does not care what other people think about him. It is not that he needs validation, but that he enjoys the praises of his people, those whom he created. And if the Lord did what he had said he was going to do, then the Egyptians would have been right in saying that the God of the Hebrews would destroy his own people. So this would suggest that God is bent on evil instead when he is a good, good father. God would be depicted as a mass murderer and an annihilator of a nation. But what glory would God receive from his people or from the nations around? I want you to know today that we do not serve an emotionless God. And while he reigns supreme and has a divine plan, he still feels a spectrum of emotions. And our sin rouses his anger, our sin Brings about sadness in his heart, and our obedience evokes happiness and joy and delight to him. And one of his key characteristics is that he is a relational God, he's not distant from us. And so it is out of his great love for us that he demonstrated his power. Secondly, I also want you to remember his promises. Lord, we want to remember your promises. Moses recalled the promise that was made to the patriarchs of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, also known as Israel. And the details of this promise are the blessing of his descendants and the blessing of the land that they own. The people had grown to over two million people, and the promised land lay right ahead of them to possess. And Moses was the chosen leader, and the Israelites were the chosen people through whom the promise would be realized. And if Israel was blessed, guess what? They could be a blessing to the nations around them. And to do otherwise would be to suggest that God realized he had made a mistake and eliminating them would be counterproductive to his plan. God knew that they are human beings. God knew that they are capable of not being perfect in obedience. So in order to achieve his plan through mere human beings, God would have to exhibit great patience by relenting in great mercy by giving them another chance. How many people are glad that God gives us another chance? Does God have memory loss that we need to remind him? of his promises, and of his power in the past? Not at all. See, Moses was simply connecting the dots between the past and the present in salvation history. God, what are you up to? You're up to something bigger than me. You're up to something bigger than the Israelites. There's a story. There's a narrative that is unfolding that we are a part of. See, God does not have many plans. He has one plan. And this is the grand narrative of the Bible that takes us from creation to the fall in the garden, to the redemption at Jesus Christ, and to the restoration at the second coming of God. This is the story that you and I are a part of. And so we link ourselves and connect the dots, and we're in that story too. The mediation of Moses. In relenting and asking God to relent is a foreshadowing of the mediation of Jesus Christ. See, when we sin, it is now Jesus who mediates on our behalf, asking God to relent in light of the big story of salvation that is still unfolding, that you and I are a part of. Third point this morning is leader-breaking. There is a leader-breaking moment in this story Verse 15 to 20, Moses turned and he went down the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands. And they were inscribed on both sides, front and back. And the tablets were the work of God. The, writings, uh, the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, there's a the sound of war in the camp. Moses replied, it's not the sound of victory, it's the sound of defeat. It's not the sound of defeat. It's the sound of singing that I hear. When Moses approached the camp and he saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned. And he threw the tablets out of his hand, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf that people had made and he burned it with fire. And then he ground it to a powder and he scattered it on the water and made the Israelites drink it. It's a tough story we see some spiritual leadership principles from moses's reaction to the golden calf in verses 19 to 20 you see not only did the people break the commandments in principle but they were the very reason why moses broke the physical tablets of stone it was an object lesson that portrayed to the israelites that their idolatry was a total breaking of the law of god Moses couldn't take those pieces of stone and superglue them back together again. It wasn't that simple. That's not how the covenant is put back together. So the covenant they had promised to keep was broken, and only God could fix it. What breaks God's heart should break our hearts, friends. Does your heart break for the things that God's heart breaks for Whenever they identify areas of sin in the body of Christ, whenever we identify areas of sin in the body of Christ, you need to listen. And you need to be vigilant. You need to understand when your spiritual leaders act and speak and say, this is wrong. We cannot do this. We should not be like this. You need to hear our hearts because it matters. We do not want to be covenant breakers. Moses then, he physically destroyed the golden calf. Not only did he destroy the tablets of God, he destroyed the golden calf. He had it burned and ground and scattered on the water and drunk by the people. We see from King Josiah something similar. And he probably got the idea from Moses looking back in history because in 2 Kings 23 verse 6, it is Josiah who took the Asherah pole from the temple of the Lord to the Kidron Valley outside of Jerusalem and he burned it there and he ground it to powder and he scattered the dust over the graves of the common people. What are they doing? What is Moses doing? What is Josiah doing? They're making a bold statement. And the statement is this you become what or who you worship. You will become what or who you worship. It's that simple. The Old Testament commentator, Greg Beale, he says it this way what people revere, they resemble, either for ruin or for restoration. Another way to understand this scene is to think of this as spiritual adultery. In Numbers 5, 27, I've mentioned the scripture before in the past, we find out how the priest would test a woman accused of adultery by drinking water with dust from the temple floor to determine whether she lied or she was telling the truth. And after making oaths and after making offerings to God, if she had made herself pure and been unfaithful to her husband, this would be the result. When she made to drink the water that brings a curse and causes bitter suffering, it will enter her, her abdomen will swell, her womb will miscarry, and she will become a curse. I know, it's a, it's a terrible thing. But God's serious about his commandments. And while this case surely differed from the event we're studying here, and there was no physical manifestation that accompanied the drinking of this tampered water, it appeared that Moses' actions addressed the infidelity of the people, a breaking of the seventh commandment. Are you ready for a dad joke? It's been a while since I gave you a dad joke. I heard a preacher say to his congregation, That this was the moment in history when people started drinking decaf lattes. (laughs) Bad joke. Some of you are just getting it, decaf lattes. Let it be on the record today, my friends, that the pastors at WPA are ready to tear down every stronghold and take captive every thought that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We're not gonna watch this church family fall into idolatry, be entrapped by sin. We're not just gonna watch you, and we're gonna call you out if we see those things because we love you. We're not gonna do it to scorn you and make you a public ridicule of you. We're gonna do it because it matters to God, it matters to the body, it matters to the Israelites, so it matters to this church. And we're gonna do the hard thing and have a hard conversation with you because you matter. And there's a lot at stake when you start influencing people in the wrong direction. There is no room for idolatry in this church and in your lives. And I pray that today you begin to dethrone the idols and start to elevate and raise and prioritize the name of Jesus above every other name. As we conclude this morning and the worship team prepares to come, I leave you with one final decision to make today. It's a decision you need to look really deep into your heart about because these idols might not be a golden calf in your life. It's not gold. It's not a cow. It's something else. Something else of this generation, of this time, of this era in history. It doesn't have to be a thing. It could be a commodity. It could be a value. It could be something that's driving your behavior. And I leave with you that one final decision of this, choose your side. Choose what side you're going to be on today. You have a choice. You cannot serve God and be an idolater. It just doesn't work that way. You can't do both and. It's either one or the other. So look at what God said and how the only of the Levites responded in Exodus 32, 25 to 26. Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them out of, get out of control and so become a laughingstock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites, they rallied to him. The sad news is that only one tribe, Of 12 tribes, the tribe of Levi, chose to set themselves apart from the rest. It's because God was setting them apart for something bigger, for something greater. If you know the story of the tribe of Levi, they would be the priests and the Levites that serve in the temple of the Lord. So the question is, will you be the royal priesthood that God is calling you to be? Will you set yourself apart from everyone else? Will you be like the Levites in your generation? The narrative continues, verse 27 to 29. And then he said to them, this is what the Lord says. The God of Israel says, each man strap a sword to his side and go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. And the Levites did as Moses commanded. And that day about 3,000 people died. Then Moses said, you have been set apart to the Lord today for you were against your own sons and brothers, and he has blessed you this day. You see, God commanded the Levites to take extreme measures against idolaters. And now in no way am I telling you and advocating that you go kill somebody today. You go kill your brother, your friend, your neighbor. Don't do that. Please don't do that. I'm not telling you to do that. What I am saying is this idolatry is a serious issue in the body of Christ. Serious. It is a life and death issue. You see, idolatry is a one-way road that leads to death and destruction, and I don't want any of you to walk down that road. I'm calling you today to forsake your idols. I'm calling you today to turn from your wicked ways. I'm calling you today to choose a side. We must draw the line in the sand. We can no longer blur the line between God and idols. And as Joshua, Moses' successor, once said in Joshua 24, verse 15, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, as for me and the Pattiath household, as for me and WPA Church, we will serve the Lord. That needs to be your heartbeat today for you and for your family and for this church. There's so much at stake. Will you serve the Lord or will you continue to worship idols? Let's pray.